the Knights Templar, a wealthy, powerful, and mysterious order that has fascinated historians and the public for centuries. You're listening to Casual History. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Casual History. Um, my name is Jeffrey. This my is name. my brother. Yes, Jacob. <laughs> <laughs> we don't normally do an intro like that. We don't. <laughs> so I caught him off guard. You did. You caught me off guard. I wasn't ready. I wasn't you... ready to present my name <laughs> and who I am. Yeah. Well, I just felt the need because today is a big day. Is it a big day? It's a big one. It's, uh, it's a subject matter that I have been thinking about growing up constantly. I've seen episodes of episodes of documentaries of Da Vinci Code, everything that's wrapped into the mystery yeah. and connected to Knights Templar. Well, I'm going to be honest that I almost tackled this subject as well. And uh, I kind of started deep diving into it a little bit. And I kind of got a little overwhelmed with how much there is. Um, and so I was like, oh, crap. Well, I can't do this justice. I can't do this right now. So I'm glad you've taken it upon yourself to put in all this effort <laughs> for me so I can learn myself. I've thrown caution to the wind. Good. Um, <laughs> That's how we like it here in Casual History. And uh, there's, there is so much to get into. Like, this probably is going to be another two-part episode like the Pyramids, which I'm working mm-hmm. on uh, for episode two to really go into heavy. Oh, really? Okay. Um, this might be a two-parter because... I think to do it justice, like there's so many caveat, caveats, 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 yeah. there you go, um, within this story and that the 200 years that we kind of know of, uh, that the Templars were a thing really, mm-hmm. at least we know of, um, that it, there's so much stuff within there and stuff that led off of that, oh, yeah. that just telling the story of kind of how it happened uh, and what happened as we know it, the best of our everyone, the historian's documentary's ability. Because that's, that's the real thing, right? We don't really know. We, we do know a lot. We know things. We know a lot. But, I mean, there's, I mean, obviously you wouldn't have 50 million documentaries claiming treasure to having the Holy Grail to, I mean, like, I mean, you wouldn't have all that if you knew. Like, they had to be mysterious, right? Oh, there's so much legend and myth um, okay. to get into. So, um, okay, I kind of... Where do you start? Yeah, so I brought this down into sections, and there's a lot of information I want to do up front. So, Oh, the, wow, okay, the information, info dump. The information <laughs> I want to do up front is about the crusade, right. um, which led to the Templars, nice mm-hmm. Templar, um, and kind of go from there. So, I have to go back a few years, Jacob. Take, take, come with me. Come with me. <laughs> take a little trip. Back in time <laughs> to 1096. 1096. Oh god, I can't even. I can't even picture it. So, I'm gonna start here. Okay, at the first crusade. Okay. So, do you know what a crusade is, or what it was, what it like, what I mean, happened? I mean, it's, it's okay. gonna sound it, dumb, but just like a, a mission, a religious mission, um, to carry out some sort of big, larger goal, right? I'll like take it's it. a group. I'll take. I mean, it. right? Um. So I'll start here then. Okay. So. Uh, in 1096 to 1099 was the first series of a religious wars, um, yes. of religious wars initiated, supported, 
and sometimes directed by the Latin church in the medi- medieval period. Okay. Okay. Um, the initial objective was the recovery of the Holy Land from Islamic rule, and these campaigns were subsequently given the name Crusades. Uh, the earliest initiative for the first crusade began in 1095 when the Byzant- Byzantine Empire yes. um, requested military support from the Council of Piacenza um, in the empire's conflict with the Seljuk Turks, which I know we've kind of talked about them. A little bit. In, uh, the yeah, Seljuk we've Turks dabbled. And we've dabbled. <laughs> um, and this was followed later in the year uh, by the Council of Clement, during which this call was met with an enthusiastic popular response across all social classes in Western Europe. So mobs of predominantly poor Christians numbering in the thousands, led by Peter the Hermit, um, a French-controlled, um, sorry, a French priest, where the first, they were the first to respond. Okay. Um, what has become known as the People's Crusade passed through Germany and indulged in the wide-ranging anti-Jewish activities and massacres um, and on leaving oh, wow. the Byzantine um, controlled territory, they were annihilated in a Turkish ambush at the Battle of Kiv- Kivatat on, mm-hmm. in October 1096. So, okay. pre warning here, I'm going to butcher names. We're going to have to get over that quickly. Oh, of course. <laughs> of course. But you will, get, names. you will understand, hopefully, the words I'm trying to say. Yes. And if you're unsure, they're always Googleable. google our pronunciation Uh, of these words please do um so that's the first start right okay so it but it was a uh interesting i was all on board until you started talking about um like you said like every it was supported yeah it was supported like widely by the people and i was like okay so maybe it was like a hey peaceful (laughs) thing not a peaceful thing but just like you know it was it was like, hey, you're sticking up for us poor Christians, the poor Christians, and um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I was seeing it as different. I was like, yeah, you go out there and you fight for us, and then you started talking about <laughs> terrible things that they were involved in, which is awful. Yeah, it didn't. I, I mean, I don't think. I don't know. It's a lot of people. Yeah, and it's a lot. Of, I mean, you're. It's a religious war. Like you're. It's like. Uh, you're going to fight for your God, right? That's the whole thing. You're sure. going to capture and hopefully not capture, but you're going to spread um, the, wor- the, the word it, yeah. of your, you of your God. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the general overview there. Okay. Sure. Of what that, what the first crusade was and kind of a yeah. little prehistory. The Holy war. But what led to the crusade I thought was important because again, this like, how does that happen? Right. That interested me even just doing this research. I know I did the Knights Templar, but this right. is what led to them. And what led to the crusade was interesting to me because I'm like, okay, how does that even, how does that start, right? Can you imagine nowadays an army of thousands of people calling to arms um, under a god? Yes, but sure. in, but in the moment of like, uh, you just, just want to know the drastic nature of it. Yeah, was like they were crossing boundaries, they were crossing territories, they were, ca- you know what I mean? It was like a movement, movement. Yeah, it wasn't a PTA group. Um, yeah, it wasn't a, a, a small gathering. town. Yeah, no, <laughs> yeah. No. Um, so what led to the crusade was um, the cause. So here we go. I'm about to say what led. To, <laughs> it's debated, basically. Um, while the relative weight uh, or importance of the various factors may be the subject of ongoing disputes, it is clear that the first crusade came about from a combination of factors. Earlier in the 11th century, in both Europe and Near East and Western Europe, Jerusalem was increasingly seen as a worthy of uh, pilgrimages. The Seljuks 
Turks' hold on Jerusalem was weak at the time, and the group lost the city to the Fat- Fatimids um, and returning pilgrims. So, uh, and the returning pilgrims, such as the Great German Pilgrimage in 1064, 1065. So this happened a bit. There, you know, pilgrimages sure. was a verb. <laughs> yeah. It, I guess it is a verb, right? It I is. Know. I mean, I guess so. <laughs> but, like, it was a thing of mass movement of people, right? Yes. Um, and so they reported difficulties during this time, uh, and they reported oppression of Christians. And so the Byzantine need for military support coincided with an increase in the willingness of the Western European warrior class to accept a papal uh, military command. So that, you know, what of the Pope's command. Right. So, command. It, so it led to, um, yeah, so see, like, uh, other interests. Right. Like, other people were trying to take advantage of things that were already happening and kind of took up a cause. Right, it kind of coincided t- together in like all the it was the brewings that led to the first crusade. Sure, um, with especially with them being the the first uh, the Seljuk Turks hold on Jerusalem being weak, and it kind of uh, set a domino effect through there. Um, and I could get a bit more into that, but I think we know why we're here. Yes, um, we and that started is for with all the conspiracies. So of please, the Knights Templar. <laughs> So, uh, but I, I just thought did that they, was did worth they find... going over. You know, it was worth going over. Give <laughs> yeah, me a preface. Jeffrey, but did they find the Holy Grail? Did they keep the national? <laughs> did they store the actual Holy Grail and hide it away? You know what I mean? Did they get away? Did this all happen? So, um... <laughs> answer these questions, Jeff. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so after right, the oppression of Christians was reported. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a massacre of pilgrims that were going to the Holy Land of Jerusalem, um, and a French man named, I have his name here. But can um, you say it? I cannot. <laughs> so it was a French knight, mm-hmm. effectively, okay? It was on the traveling road to Jerusalem. Uh, they got ambushed. These pilgrims of Christians that were uh, going there um, got ambushed by... It was a mix of people. I don't. I don't know if they'd ever defined it, but they think it was, you know, of course, opposing religion, Islamic, sure. you know, um, followers there at the time. So it was an opposing religious war, right? Okay. Um, and so at that time, the French knight kind of took pity on the pilgrims, kind of like people who were like traveling on the road, um, and him. And it said there's two different accounts. There's one that it was his family, like there was like a, eight or nine people that was kind of in his family, mm-hmm. uh, vowed to protect them, right? And vowed we were gonna, they were gonna stand up for them, right? Um, and so um, that was kind of the first start of the Knights Templar, and they called themselves. Um, here, I got myself a little out of sorts, so let me <laughs> follow back where I was at um, because I go into this and I have the names, and I don't want to just like um, rattle off names at one after another. Yeah. So um, here we go, right here. Sorry, sorry about that, folks. Um, so. Pitting the plight of these Christians, right? The eight or nine French knights, led by Hugh de Paines, that's his name, okay. um, vowed in late 1119 or early 1120 to devote themselves to the pilgrims' protection and to form a religious community for that purpose. Okay. So, uh, heads up at the time, though, Baldwin II was the king of Jerusalem and gave them quarters in a wing of the royal palace in the area of the formal temp- former Temple of Solomon. Oh, wow. And so from this is where they derived their name, calling it, they were initially called the Poor Knights of the Temple of King Solomon. Not a good catch, catchy name. Not you know? that catchy. Um, so right, need a rebrand. <laughs> later known as Knights Templar. 
But with the support of Baldwin II, the king of Jerusalem, they set up headquarters on the sacred temple mound, mount um, and pledged to protect Christian visitors to the city. Um, after facing initial criticism by religious leaders in 1129, the knights received the formal endorsement of the Catholic Church and support from Bernard of Clairvaux, um, a prominent abbot. Uh, new recruits and lavish donations began pouring in from Europe, but we're not going to get there yet. <laughs> we're going to get to the initial, right, they uh, walk into this temple, was the formal temple, temple of Solomon. Yeah. Which I found, okay. Because the Temple of Solomon is, big. is huge. So so when I went through this, right, they kind of like glaze over it a mm. bit. Uh, they glaze over this little piece, and I'm like, wait a minute. There's a lot of history in that one building, oh, right? Oh, my God. And so... Yeah. What I wanted to do... Well, we talked about it in the Sir um, Isaac Newton. He believed that's where the end of the world, Solomon's Temple, was being rebuilt, was the reason. Right. Um, yeah, because Jesus walked in Solomon's Temple. So here's here's the, what I would like to do. Um, there's a little bit of a conspiracy-ish yes. thing here that happens. Okay? Yes, take me down the rabbit hole. But, but there is uh, real facts in here. I'm going to be talking about the Temple of Solomon just for a bit. Sure. And so um, we'll go from there. So It was a room. If you go to Jerusalem today... Uh, you'll see the remains of the second temple, largely built by King Herod. Uh, that's the king who allegedly massacred all the baby children in the realm yes. on hearing that the Messiah had been born. That's right. Um, he wasn't king on a divinely led rebellion. <laughs> uh, the remains are the huge stone platform uh, built on top of a low-lying hill called Mount Moriah. Moriah, sorry. Um, as the foundations for a massive structure that once stood there. Uh, this was a staggering architectural achievement that involved lugging enormous quarried stones to the site, transforming the mount into the base of the temple. Um, this completed building must have been huge by any standard, according to all texts and everything that we know. Mm-hmm. Um, it stood as a strong, it was, um, the purpose was to stand as a strong testament to uh, by Herod that the God of the Jews truly ranked above all the others. Right. Um, and I say it was the second temple because... The first was built by King Solomon. Right. Um, ha- it had been destroyed by an invading Babylonians in 586 BC. Um, Solomon had constructed the temple to house the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was w- held within a room called the Holy of Holies, which no man was permitted to enter except the high priest, uh, which is known to, which is God, was, which, which therein God, God was, was said through. to dwell, right? Yes. Within the highest priest. Of course. Um, and within the Ark of the Covenant was placed the tablets of stone given by God to Moses. Um, that ten is, Commandments. Right. And that is the tablets upon which were inscribed the Ten Commandments. Um, there's also a pot of the manna that fell from heaven to feed the wandering Israelites and Aaron's rod, supposedly. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and then after the Babylonian destruction, though, the tablets in the Ark disappeared. One of the reasons mm-hmm. the Knights Templar might have been interested in finding it was, of course, the awesome power it was believed to contain. You've yeah. seen... It was supposed to make you invincible. Anybody who willed... Again, I'm going to butcher the the actual like scripture because I think there is an actual scripture line that they believe that the Ark of the Covenant, um, if you brought it into battle you couldn't with lose. yourself, you could not lose because right. God would be with you. Right. So um, it was explained... So here's where it gets a little fuzzy, I guess. Um, it's been argued that it was a kind of weapon of mass destruction, Right. This is what it's been argued, wow. okay? I mean... Um, capable of wiping out armies if taken onto the field of battle, right? right. That was this, the said power of this thing. And I, this is a side note just off memory from me going through stuff. I don't have this written down. Sure. But 
there was depictions of this, right? Drawings that we've in like uh, depictions of the Ark of the Covenant, what yes, it looked like, of course. Um, and there was uh, a couple guys. I don't know if it was the 1950s or 1980s, somewhere in between there, that did a test or kind of a thought experiment, and what it seemed to them to be was an electrical machine. Uh, the way it was depicted, okay. That it was from the this description. Is, this is all speculation. I want to yes, clarify. Of course, heavy. yeah, we're going speculative right I'm now. I'm not trying to be like a conspiracy podcast. I'm trying to implement the real history and then layer on. Hey, this is what the conspiracies have led on to. Okay, so this is a completely speculation. Okay, but speculatively, um, it's been said that it could have been a machine of sorts that produced electricity shocks or some sort of you know like those machines like the Tesla machines that like shoot out electricity. Yeah. Coil, like okay. a Tesla coil. It supposedly that's how some people mm. interpreted it. Mm. Based <laughs> if on, you can see my face, people. Based on what <laughs> the the uh, the actual features of what they right. believe the Ark of the Covenant did drawings, and then um, mm. and well, I believe, the drawings are just like a golden lace box. No, not from what I saw. Like drawings, and then also depictions. Um, I think that was like the combination. It was there was okay. a whole article on it. Again, I read it, kind of passed through me by now sure. with all this other information. Yeah, but I just want to set that up here. Okay, <laughs> so so the Knights of the Templar stole it. <laughs> well, no, no, no. Well, here's the thing: took here's it away thing. before the temple could be destroyed. We know, mm-hmm. um, right? We we know why they might have been interested in finding it. Of course, um, but that wouldn't explain how it came to be captured by the Philistines um, after the Israelites carried it into battle against their old foe at a place called. Eben Ezer, apparently the Ark Ebenezer, brought yeah. them no luck in this uh, venture, only defeat. Hmm. Although the Philistines did return it to the Israelites a few months later, concerned that it was behind a mysterious outbreak of tumors and other diseases among the people. Oh. Um, so that's an interesting little factoid of history. Um, so, we have a temple built by King Solomon with the Ark of the Covenant, which might be capable of delivering giant electrical shocks, right? That's like the speculation, heavy speculation, right? That's the That's, thought. Yeah. Okay. The temple is destroyed by the Babylonians, who may have run off with the Ark, or more likely it uh, was hidden uh, before the city was sacked, right? Mm-hmm. Um, before the, it sacked or got ruined or something. I, right. I would assume if you know something's about to happen and you think this Get is rid so of the most valuable, you'd hide it. Get rid of it, sneak it off, right? Why mm. wouldn't you? I would do that. This is a very interesting <laughs> off-the-wall explanation. I know. I've never heard Listen, again. I told you we're doing a side venture. There's so much information here, but sure. it's, it's needed to understand okay. the full scope of what led to the Templars. Believing that the Ark of the Covenant was a machine that produced electroshocks. No, I'm not saying I believe that. I'm saying there was speculation of that. Okay. But... Regardless of whether what we think it might have been, mm-hmm. they everyone held it in high high esteem. We know well, that, sure. right? Yeah. So it doesn't matter. But it really. also kind of broke the rule, right? Because you're supposed to, if you carry that into battle, it's supposed to be um, basically make you invincible, right? But who then knows? Then you lose man. a battle with it, and then Heresy. you claim you never know. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're so. like, not you, not today. <laughs> you know, well, they thought they brought it back. <laughs> They brought it it's back. It's broken. They brought it back. <laughs> Take it back. But because they thought tumors, like I said, they thought something was running rampant. That's they thought weird. it could have been behind, could have been the Ark. Mm. We didn't, you know, we're not following it correctly. Maybe we get cursed. That's weird. I'm just going through the mindset. Yeah, I'm not so saying, for... you know. Okay. So, <laughs> uh, 
Okay, so I don't want to start with that line again. But the temple was destroyed, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who may have run off with the ark, right? Or may have hidden it um, before sacking. But for some reason, uh, it never reemerges, right? Mm-hmm. Even when the temple is rebuilt 500 years later by King Herod. Um, and then comes the next terrible part of the story um, from what I read. The Jews, Jews revolt against Roman rule, and as a punishment, the Romans destroy the second temple of Solomon, right? Right. And when I say destroyed, we're talking about leveling it to the ground, um, okay. or more accurately, pretty much leaving the platform on which, on which it was built and nothing else. Right. They came through and destroyed it, right? Okay. Um, uh, the, the Romans celebrated this act of religious and cultural vandalism with the construction of the Ark of Titus in Rome. You can still see it today. And on the arch, there's a clear image of treasure being taken from the temple by Roman soldiers. Mm. Okay? So Here these we are go. all clues. The plot thickens. I'm setting you up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and as you, I'm sure you know, Jake, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus was prophecies Dis- the destruction of the second temple in the tu- in the New Testament. Um, yes, that so he prophesied it. Yes. Though this prophecy was described by by gospel writers telling the story after the temple had been lev- leveled. In other words, Jesus is predicting something that had already happened. Mm. Um, just as a little note there. Um, a few decades later, though, the Jews revolted again, and this time the emperor Hadrian um, recon reconsecrated the temple as a pagan place of worship to the god Jupiter. Um, the second Jewish revolt uh, and provoked it were after as a reprisal by the emperor. Um, so, by the way, Hadrian wasn't the first ruler to outlaw Judaism um, at the temple site. Um, another few other uh, emperors who had inherited part of the vast empire of Alexander the Great dedicated the temple to Zeus at one point as a punishment um, of the Jews 300 years earlier for, you guessed it, revolting against the rule. Right. So this has been a constant struggle. Yes. Um, but that little, depi- that little control. depiction there that you can still see today in the Ark of mm-hmm. Romans taking treasure is a Interesting. Little, little sign there for you. Um, we're 22 minutes in. I thought we we're, gonna, we're not stopping yet. We we're we're going gonna... to keep setting it up. You know how much there's going to be. Um, okay. Let's do this. So the Romans tolerate, then adopt Christianity. I'm just going to skip ahead a bit. Right. Okay. Um, this is going to be about the Templars and the Temple of Solomon. So they adopt Christianity as a state religion in the 4th century. Um, from the Emperor Constantine onwards, Jerusalem becomes uh, a center of Christian pilgrimage. Um, churches are built as key sites in the biblical story, and most importantly is the Holy uh, Sepulchre. Um, sorry, constructed over the site of the crucifixion and burial place of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then disaster strikes for the Christians. Again. Right? <laughs> Jerusalem and the whole region comes under the rule of a new religion in the 7th century, Islam. Um, Muslims, as part of the Abrahamic family, recognize the same prophets as Judaism and Christianity, but with a difference uh, to them. Jesus is another prophet, and then Muhammad is the last prophet. Right. Again, I could be butchering this, but this is all that I read and am regurgitating. Sure. I'm sure there's um, lots of, like, complex layers between all this and all these, because uh, we obviously haven't gone through and, like, read these all these texts no. to know. So It's me gathering all my information and putting it in a, a timeline, if mm-hmm. I can best <laughs> say it. Um, so... Uh, the Temple Mount isn't destroyed, but reimagined in line with Islam at this point. 
Uh, the dome of the rock with its golden dome still visible today is constructed over the spot where Muhammad, Muhammad ascended to heaven. Okay. Um, so for Jews, it's the place where Abraham prepared to sacrifice his first son, Isaac. Remember his son, Isaac. I don't think it was his right, first right. son. Um, nearby, uh, the new Muslim rulers of Jerusalem built the al Asks Mosque. Um, this is the place that Muhammad arrived at from Mecca on his miraculous overnight journey, facilitated by a winged creature called Barak. These are all just, I'm just dropping a bunch of, hit, like, just dropping. I'm dropping knowledge here, guys. <laughs> um, just dropping a take, bunch of, take a pen and paper. <laughs> uh, okay. So after the Crusaders took Jerusalem from Muslim, Muslim rule in 1099, they turned the Dome of the Rock into a Christian church. And mm. the Al Asks uh, became the palace of uh, the crusader king of Jerusalem. And then he bequeathed it to the Knights Templar as their headquarters, right? Which is where we're at. Right. After the year 1118. Okay. Okay? That was a long-winded way to get you all the way there. Though. Get us right to... To understand what was underneath th- this place. Sure. Okay? And the reason why the Knights Templar might have been so interested in it and why there's evidence that they were digging, Jacob. There's evidence they were digging. They were digging in this spot. Why would they okay? not be? But why would you? To find you the Holy Grail. To find relics, right? Yes, of course. If you found a relic, Holy relics, yeah. you would become popular. Not popular. You'd become powerful. You'd also become validated. Mm-hmm. Um, if you had some sort of thing that could be verified in any way as being from the original, like it would show that you were on the right path and that you were the right, uh, on the right ideals. Yes, so um, it's very important for that they find something like that because it would instantly credit, like, make them credible. And Solomon's treasure um, and that of other kings of Jerusalem could be laid underground right there. Right. Um, the Ark of the Covenant, of course, we know was there at one point, um, which then vanished, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but maybe it was underneath the Temple of Solomon. And if so, the power could be used by the Templars. Um the Turin Shroud also, the Holy Grail, the Holy Lance, the Crown of Thorns, all are held up as candidates for treasure found under the Temple of Solomon. You're kidding. No, because this is where it was housed. This is where the stuff was like at. Like, Man, um, I can't even imagine all that stuff in one area. Also, the head of John the Baptist uh, oh. was supposedly buried there as opposed to various churches in Europe that claimed to have it. Um, so, well, damn, if they found any of those things... Instant credibility, um, you demand people follow. Right. I mean, you'd be able to. Right. So here, I'm going to jut off a little bit off of memory here before I get to into sure. kind of the, the thing here, because we're about to touch the ad break. And okay. so I do want to say something. So from this point, mm-hmm. this is where it gets really interesting. So these people, the Knights Temple are formed. They get kind of verified by the King of Jerusalem. They have their own headquarters, yep. uh, previously where the King of Solomon are. And then and their vow is to protect Christian, like Christian, Christian pilgrims, right, coming over uh, right. to new areas. They there is evidence of them digging, right? Okay, in this spot where the King of Solomon was. Okay, and that could have been their sole purpose, right? That like so. Before we get into what made them so powerful and how they um, rose to power, the biggest key point here there's a connection point. Exactly, <laughs> if they found something. If they, they found kept something it quiet. No, well, at one point, we're gonna get into this. They go to the Pope, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, they're ordained by as the God's men, as the like God's men, right? So what would cause that to, this is my speculation. This is not 
is after reading all Wait, this, Wait, right? you're telling me that they went to the Pope later on and were like, hey, uh, we need your blessing? Because, again, you, you don't understand the, the type of power they that get popes to that had in history in general. They, like... It also became they were undoing, but... Yes, ab- absolutely. I'm with you. But the they had the power to literally sway wars, kings of entire countries. Well... And people, kings would come to them for counsel um, on huge war-like matters. Right. Like, they were known as, you know, the moral high guard, which I'm not saying is correct, because you know how humans are. We're super fallible. Okay. And that's not always do I, do I Do I spout off a conspiracy that has, like, no basis, <laughs> but I've heard right now? Do I do that before ad break? Because I think that... I'll leave it with a little bit of that, and then okay. we'll come back and get into the all real right, nitty-gritty. Right. But the thought being is, there's two two lines of thought here, right? Mm-hmm. They either found one of those things we just talked about. Yeah. And um, showed it to the Pope, and he's like, holy shit. But immediately, you kind of become, like, if you... So they do go to the Pope, and they come, they make a tour around Europe at a certain point, and mm-hmm. kind of win over favor with kings and stuff. Um, but they do get to be uh, known as the God's men, right? Like that, like that's a big, big thing to say as the Pope uh, as a, to a group of people. They become yes. the, the army for the Pope, really. Yeah. They become the, the, the backbone of like banking and all this stuff, which we'll get into. Right. But the thought here, this connection point from A to B is where it gets interesting because if they found any of those things, right. And they gave it to the Vatican, mm-hmm. um, it would be a, so there's a re- there's two two theories here, okay? Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> One theory is that they found something they weren't supposed to, as in it could be something that was either against the church or something that was uh, that Just would undermine the undermine the church. Mm-hmm. Um, and able to blackmail their way into not doing that. Just blackmail, but e- I don't even know that it was blackmail as much as. This organization immediately became secret, kind of like they were already had myth and legend around them, right? Um, and I think a lot of that was too, uh, they had to seem a bit bigger than they were. Yeah. But a lot of it was wrapped in mystery of these relics, and they were big on relics. And like that was kind of what they, um, again, we, there's so many stories about them hiding treasure and the Holy Grail, right? It's all connected to them for a reason. Right. Uh, because they were seekers of that kind of thing, because it gave them, obviously, look at what we're talking about right now. Yeah, it gave them credibility. Um, so, so there is a theory that has no basis, and I don't want to just Do spout it. it off, but I'm going to spout it off. So I read a good little article by a guy. <laughs> he shall not be named because you can't remember. So, yeah, so there is a Some thought. Some dude on YouTube. There is a thought that um, the, the Knights Templar ended up finding marriage certificates um, of Jesus and of uh, Mary Magdalene, um, which, which could... Uh, undermine the faith a bit that Jesus was married, right? So, uh, that's a big that that's a big theory, not a big theory like among popular theory, but a big theory is in meaning like it could have no basis. But there was a thought that that's what was found when they were digging mm-hmm. ancient marriage certificates, um, with Jesus's uh, marriage certificate, and that that would uh, undermine the current Christian. Uh, and modern Christian view of um, of, of uh, Christianity you, and sure. hurt the spread and kind of hurt what they were building, right? Right, but it would also hurt the Knights Templar, correct? Because they were followers of Christ as well. 
they were, but they were also they were protectors, right? And they kind of became the Lord's men, driven by the Pope. Mm-hmm. But um, that theory could make sense to the Vatican giving them banking power, and they didn't have to pay tax. And all of a sudden, right? All like if you're a part of this group, yeah, you know, you're suddenly in high, high position Regard, in the world. Yes, and the, the if you're the Vatican, the Pope, you kind of get twofold out of it. You get army and men to kind of protect and keep your you know christianity and that kind of world the crusades and and yeah no but yeah they were the they were could be the backbone of your like um your your faith so it was an interesting thing i read i'm not saying there's any validity to it of course because either way if they didn't find that something that was like that, that big of a revelation sure they could have found um, the, they could have found the Ark of the Covenant and given it to, and it was such, if you provide the Pope, and you, at that time, you go to the Pope and you go, and like in secret, yeah, and you, you go, go, the only way found, you could find this is if you were truly meant to find this. Exactly. And they would all of a sudden become yeah. high esteemed. So I feel like there, there is some, I don't feel like just because they were protecting Christians and this kind of group was formed, maybe they would be just, or like, you know. Like take that leap to the next step A to B, and that sure. makes sense. But to me, there's a bigger step that's missing. Especially since we we know that they were like we know from all we know in quotes from everything that I've read. The, it's kind of agree, generally agreed upon that they, we know they were digging there. Sure, like we know there was digging going on, but yeah. for what reason? Right? Why were they digging yeah. in King Solomon to find? Obviously, find things. Yes, and uh, we're at thirty-three minutes. Let's take an ad break. But this is an interesting conversation. Okay. I want to pick it back up. But that was just an interesting tidbit. We'll get back into the Knights Templar. All right, let's do it with my cheesy uh, ad. Hey, go vote up right now. Go vote. Go vote. <laughs> and we're back. That's right. We're Thank back. you for listening to that ad. Um, that doesn't help support us, but it helps support <laughs> our elections. There you go. Free demo- it helps our democracy. Yeah. <laughs> Um, it's not a paying ad. We don't we don't care no. about that. We thought it was a good. Uh, this is good. this is gonna really mess up this episode when there's a new ad <laughs> later on in the future. But that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. Uh, if you're in the future listening to this now, um, there is a voting ad because election's about to happen. So yeah, yeah it's word so two it's weeks a charity away. One, yeah, I know. So um, we are talking about the Knights Templar. You've obviously made it this far. Um, hopefully you've good enjoyed job it on so you guys. far. Yeah, good job on you guys. There's a lot of information I just yeah, dropped. Yeah, because we're just about to get to the good stuff, and you, yeah, you've been real troopers. So, the Knights Templar. Let's just jump mm-hmm. back in. Um, I, I Do you know what the Knights Templar code is? The code? Of course I do. Yeah, of course I do. <laughs> no, I don't. Okay, so this is a general overview, okay? Um, the members of the order were required to strictly adhere to a code of conduct, which mm-hmm. came to be called the Latin Rule. Um, they required the knights to wear a white surcoat with a red cross on the chest uh, to, and to wear this garment. For good branding. For good branding. Um, and we have this photo. There's a few photos I want to attach to our social media at Casual X History. Yeah. Um, so people can look at because um, I found them in- really interesting visually. Yeah. To kind of go along with what I was picturing when reading this and like learning about this. Um, but yeah, that's the kind of the code at the beginning. They were required to eat in silence. Ever eat more uh, meat more than three times a week, mm. and then sever all c- connections with any women. Oh, wow. Then also um, at the beginning, of course, they were attributed to not living at high, like they were living in poverty. Like they weren't, um, they were required not to live in like you're not going for the money. 
Right. Right. You're not yeah. doing it for the money. Um, but <laughs> that didn't stop nothing. No. Um, although the temples, Templars were opposed by those who rejected the idea of a religious military order and later by those who criticized their wealth and influence, they were supported by many secular and religious leaders. Beginning in 1127, Hugh, which I mentioned a leader of this so far, undertook a tour of Europe and was well-received by many nobles who made significant donations to the knights. Um, And then the Templars obtained further sanction at the Council of Troyes in 1128, uh, which may have requested that Bernard of Clairvaux compose the new rule. Um, Bernard also wrote in the Paris of the New Knighthood, um, which defended the order, which was a book, um, which defended the order against its critics and contributed to its growth. And then in 1138, Pope Innocent II issued a papal bull, which is just like a grant, like this is law, order, type of order, um, that granted the order special privileges. Um, The Templars were allowed to build their own oratories, um, were not required to pay the tith, um, and were also exempt from episcopal jurisdiction. Jurisdiction. You're kidding. um, Being subject to the Pope alone. Okay. Wow. That's a pretty big. Uh, That's uh. You win a lot of favors there. <laughs> good lord. Um. Also, like people donating to that, like it's like doing their dirty work for them. If you believed, I mean, again, you you would say, hey, you're going out there and fighting these wards. I can be here and still supply you with what you need because you're yeah. an army. Yeah, they yeah. were kind of they were they were the the backbone. Like I said, they were the the teeth. So that's how you if get they rich. needed to be. And that's how you get rich. Yours. Lots of women and not wear your cross. Well, they <laughs> so weren't... you break all your temple rules. Oh, you mean if you're the king? Yeah, you're not. You're not the no, king. I just mean like all the all the Templars. Well, you're not. You're not. That's kind of part of the rule. Is you're not. Um, you're not supposed to have women. Um, I know, but I'm not saying. I'm just saying that probably didn't happen. Oh well, I, I... <laughs> I'm saying with all this influence and like literally True. no consequences, yeah. you're telling me that like that order was strict. I mean, it was probably tried think, to be enforced strict. I think there's probably descender, like you know. Oh yeah. There's uh, what's the word? Descendants? No, what's the the ascenders? What What are you trying to say? <laughs> trying to say dissenters, right? Is it a dissent? Oh, dissenters. dissenters. Yeah. Um, amongst the gr- any group like that. So sure. who knows? Yeah. Um, so um, now numbering the thousands, we're kind of moving on. Like so, since the Pope kind of did sure. a thing, now numbering the thousands. Yeah, because who would want to join? My the, God, right? You only get um, you only get immunity uh, for almost everything, riches, and you get to be part of a club. <laughs> uh, the Templars at this point established new chapters throughout Western Europe. Uh, they developed a reputation as fierce warriors during key battles of the Crusades. Um, driven by religious fervor and forbidden from retreating unless vast, vastly outnumbered. Um, mm-hmm. They also set up a network of banks. This is their key right here. Yeah. That is the the biggest key. Think about that. They set up a network of banks that enabled religious pilgrims to deposit assets in their home, mm-hmm. right, um, countries, and withdraw funds in the Holy Land when they make the pilgrimage. Oh. So they would get a piece of paper or a parchment. Sorry, parchment. Parchment. Um mm-hmm. With their wealth that they deposited, and be able to go, and then give in another country present, present that in like Jerusalem. Oh yeah, and then get their wealth. Wow, and that's that that uh, brilliant, land, right? Um, so now what's the interest? <laughs> um, what al- contract? Uh, along with their donated fortune from the force, the nobles and various business ventures, they expanded 
They were a corporation, Jake. Sure. They were not like, you know, you think of the Knights Templar. I didn't know this. I didn't know. They were a full-on corporation, had other businesses, had banks. I didn't know that. They became a corporation, okay? okay. They had key bat. Like, who's, who were the banks protected by? You guessed it. The Fierce Warriors. You know what I mean? Like, they... <laughs> if you didn't pay up, guess who you had to face? Like, they were the Knights they were Templar, the guys. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, they were the guys, uh, right. along with their donated fr- fortune, right, in various business ventures. The system, this system, gave the Knights Templar enormous financial sway. So, at the height of their influence, they boasted a sizable fle- fleet of ships. They owned the island of Cyprus, and then <laughs> served as a primary lender to European monarchs and, and nobles. Yeah, they became the. They were the bank. The king. They were the banks. That's all you needed to. You need to be the to bank. The kings. <laughs> Through the bank, you run everything. And there's an interesting theory at this that I will get into at the very end. Sure. So please stick around. There's so a very trying... interesting theory okay. here um, of where they went. They're basically the Iron Bank. You mean a Game of Thrones yes, reference? From yes, from Game of Thrones. <laughs> yes. Um, They're basically the Iron Bank, you know what I mean? Definitely. Uh, the rule of the order was molded after the Benedictine, Benedictine rule, um, especially as understood the implemented by the Castiersons. Um, the Knights Templar swore an oath, just to get in, just to touch on this, of poverty, chastity, and obedience renounced the world, um, just like kind of the monks did of those sure. other other, other uh, rules. Um, and like the monastic calendar, they were frequently found in prayer and expressed particular veneration to the Virgin Mary. Uh, they were not allowed to gamble, swear, or become drunk, and were required to live in community, sleeping in a common dormitory, and eating meals together. They were not, however, strictly cloistered as were the monks, nor were they expected to perform devotional readings. Um, most Templars were uneducated and unable to read Latin. Um, the knight's primary duty was to fight, and the Templars gradually expanded their duties from protecting pilgrims to mounting a broader defense of crusader states in the Holy Land. Uh, they built castles, garrisons, um, garrisoned important towns, and then participated in battles fielding significant contingents against Muslim armies until the fall of Acre, which is really their pinpoint moment their to fall down. Point, right. um, the last remaining crusader stronghold was Acre in the Holy Land um, in 1291. Their great effectiveness was attested to by the Sultan Saladin, um, which we've mm, mentioned. He's been yes. in the other sto- a few other stories maybe think touched on. Uh, following the devastating defeat of crusader forces at the battle of hatton he bought he bought the templars who were taken prisoner and then later each had uh had them executed oh um, god so uh yeah he was Jeez. not a fan uh, not a fan <laughs> uh so by the mid 12th century the constitution of the order and its basic structure were established it was headed by a grand master who was elected for life and served in jerusalem Templar territories were divided into provinces, which were governed by provincial commanders, and each individual house called a preceptory was headed by a preceptor. Um, Mm -hmm. General chapter meetings of all members of the order were held to address important matters affecting the Templars and to elect a new master when necessary. Uh, Similar meetings were held at the provincial level and on a weekly basis in each house. Right. So just a good broad scope brush of, hey, this is kind of how, what we know of how they worked. Right. Um, So this is another little fun point of interest, I thought. Uh, The Templars were originally divided into two classes, knights and surgeons. The knight brothers came from the military aristocracy, 
I don't think I saw that right. And were trained in the arts of war. They assumed elite leadership positions in the order and served at royal and papal pap, papal courts. Right. Yes. <laughs> Only the knights wore the Templars' distinctive uh, wear that we know of them. Okay. Uh, just as a little fun note. Um, the sergeants or serving brothers, who were usually from lower social classes, made up the majority of members. Um, they were dressed in black habits and served as both warriors and servants. The Templars eventually added a third class, the chaplains, who were responsible for holding religious services, mm-hmm. administering the sacraments, and addressing the spiritual needs of the other, mem- of the other members. Um, right. Although women were not allowed to join the or- order, there seems to have been at least one Templar nunnery. Mm. That that was interesting. That is interesting. Um, and the kings and great nobles of Spain, France, and English England uh, gave lordship, castles, uh, and estates to the order, so that by the mid 12th century, the Templars owned properties scattered throughout Western Europe and the Mediterranean and the Holy Land. <laughs> the Templars' military strength enabled them to safety collect, store, and transport to and from Europe and the Holy Land. Their network of treasure, storehouses, and their efficient transport organization made them attractive to bankers, uh, as bankers to kings, um, as well as to pilgrims in the Holy Land. Right. So really, they built out a, a, company. a, a company, corporation, diversified, and um, gained power, influence, and everything under the sun. Yeah. And didn't have to pay tax. <laughs> and only answer to the Pope. Uh, they could do whatever they want. Answer to the Pope only. But listen, they weren't without their enemies, Jake. Of course. Oh my God! Someone that powerful? <laughs> can, can you not draw hate upon yourself? They had long engaged in a bitter rivalry with other great military order of Europe, um, the Hospitallers. Um, and by the late 13th century, proposals were being made to merge the two contentious orders into one. Oh. Yeah, this is interesting to me. I didn't know any of this. Um, the fall of Acre to Saladin in 1291 removed much of the Templars' reason for being and their great wealth. Uh, extensive land land holdings in Europe and power inspired resentment toward them. Right, um, of Although course. an ex-Templar had accused the order. So this is a... We're getting dirty here. So there was claims of blasphemy and heresy. Mm-hmm. towards the end right? right um but it was i guess i'm gonna get, get right into the uh the downfall of them and then i'll get into what maybe where they went sure and then i almost want to come back and do more on the deep 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 of this because this gives you a broad overview there's a lot sure. of information here there's already. a lot so um just to kind of spew through that um but so this all kind of ended so do you know why i don't know that this is the main reason why but october 13th 1307 was a big day. You know anything about this? I have no nothing about this. Okay, good, good. This is perfect. Okay, perfect. So, Philip uh, the Fourth, I think. uh, Ah, yes, Philip. I know Philip. Philip You know, you know Philip, King of France. Yeah, King of France. (laughs) So he's the grandson of King Louis, if I'm Mm -hmm. not mistaken. And King Louis, or if I'm not, if if that's not the right name, it's a grandson. His grandfather was a big collector of religious. um, items. Ooh, perfect and, for the Templar. Right? So uh, he was, I think he supposedly bought the, the Shroud of Turin, oh. um, which is the um, the big, you know, the uh, right. the Jesus. For those that don't know, that's, when it, it. right? Like, again, I'm just going to give my basic overview of what I think it is. Um, from what I remember, the Shroud of Turin is basically uh, the shadow that Jesus has left 
like when he resurrected in his tomb, this was apparently the cloth that was laid over him, mm-hmm. and that some sort of his energy. light energy something radiated onto this cloth, and you can literally see the outline of him and his body and his face. I want to do a whole other thing on yeah, this alone. Yeah, because that is but see, that's a big that, one. That's all mixed in here, and there's so much in that I I couldn't do it justice. I know. This. So you've heard about the Leonardo da Vinci thing, right? Right. That's yeah. that's where my mind immediately goes. Yeah. Because um, Leonardo the, da Vinci used to do um, fake religious things for fun, just to piss off people, because he never believed any of that stuff. Do you know about that about him? No. He used to he used to uh, fake artifacts, and there's a there is a big theory. Again, I'm just gonna throw this out there before any episode's done. Um, there's a big theory that he painted the shroud to be a, a really good fake just so he could show up and laugh at them when they think it's real and like claim all this power and uh, no. think it's crazy. Really? Yeah. He used to like, apparently he used to do other things, which I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I, I saw it on so a documentary. Used to make fakes. Yeah. He used to make fakes of like religious artifacts and things. The writer. To excite them and also kind of point them out as fools because for believing it. We're talking about the writer. No, Leonardo da Vinci, the actual oh, Leonardo, Leonardo da, Vinci. da Vinci. Oh my god, I thought you were talking about the Da Vinci Code. And I'm like the, the no. writer. What do you mean? I thought no, this was no, no, found. No, no, no. <laughs> no, Leonardo wow. da Vinci oh. used to create things, and he was also uh, a man that like. I mean, yeah, god, a, you could go on a other. deep dive on it, on himself, but like I want to. That'd be he take he took cadavers and like he knew more about the human body than most did. Um, I didn't know he did that. That's oh, interesting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, who knows? <laughs> who knows? But that's that was a History Channel documentary little piece that I remember. Oh, okay, that's uh, good information for people who want to look it up on YouTube. History has so much on YouTube, by the way. They oh, have like their old shows and stuff. Back Definitely. Um, so near the end of the Templars, right? Uh, we're talking about King Philip the uh, Fourth. Um, he ordered to arrest uh, the Templars on October Friday, the thirteenth, thirteen o seven. Of every Templar in France and sequestered all the Templars' property in the country. They could do that? <laughs> that most of the people in Europe became aware of uh, the extent of the alleged crimes of the order. Um, Philip basically manipulated, this is where it gets, mani- he manipulated a lot of these situations. So at this point, the speculation and kind of well known, he was indebted to the Templars. Oh. He was a king that was, gotta take him down. Huge debts, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of held over him. Um, and that speculated that he did this. What do you to think? Take him out. Take them out. Take off the power, right? And also at the time, he put in place the, the current pope. So this pope was um, kind of a, he was just a puppet, puppet mm. of King of Philip, uh, the France. Okay. He was a puppet. So at this point in time, right, um, he, he ordered, so let me back up here. He got a few Templars to admit to blasphemy and heresy, which is the greatest of crimes. Wow. There was, it gets really um, gritty here, but I guess after two weeks of being in a cell, yeah, they um, come out of pleading guilty, basically, uh, that. Weird how that happens. But the thing is, here's, here's some of the things that was said, supposedly, that it was agreed to by a few people that makes it might be real because it wasn't just these people. Mm-hmm. Um, that in the initiation of the Templars, they had to um, spit on the cross three times oh. and denounce, like, this was, like, part of the ritual, supposedly, in becoming a Templar, Knights Whoa. Templar. So, 
it, here's here's the thing. Getting back with that one theory that I told you about at the very beginning, if they found out that it wasn't, but then, yeah. Right. Anyway, so this is what he got them to attest to, what was claimed that the heresy was, that he they did that during initiation. They kissed the, they had to kiss the grandmaster who was initiating them on the mouth and at the, the, oh. the butt back of their... Um, nape of their whatever bosom whatever um that it was like almost like a it was like a weird there was some weird (laughs) things and also that they were worshiping the head of a um cat or something it was yeah no it was like that but the head that they could have been worshiping could have been the head of you know talked about uh joseph was that no uh, John the Baptist. John the Baptist. So I, again, there's some truth and unknowns here that I don't know, but I know this is what wow, was claimed, wild, right? Though. This is what was claimed. And so it kind of, again, that rumor Dudes starts get running lonely. have to create a new... <laughs> Sorry. Well, I that, can't help but joke. Dudes get lonely. Time to kiss the Grandmaster <laughs> <laughs> in every initiation. No, but, your but that became the rumors that were spread, right? Right. And this is what the claims were. And again, it's also thought to be because of um you know he was in debt so there's again some speculation as to his motivation how true it, it could possibly be because he is that and they think he, they were tortured they they think oh, yeah. that these people were tortured to agreeing to his truth sure. right that he was saying you were you did this if you do this we'll stop right if you, agree, if you just admit it we'll that, stop yeah and they admit it and then boom but there is a line here where a, another like priest that wasn't involved in any torture, I don't think, uh, sure. tested to blasphemy as well in the same things. Mm-hmm. So it kind of makes like, is there a 10% truth here? I don't know. I don't know. But again, I'm talking speculation, but I do know that was a factual claim. And on Friday the 13th, October uh, 1307, they were arrested every temple that was in France. Um, and they were under arrest and were they confiscated their land. Um, and took all their power away, stripped them away of everything. And it was at this point that my mic just decided to randomly stop working. So you can't hear my beautiful voice for the last 10 minutes of this episode. But just imagine, just imagine my humor and wit coming through in spades here because this is where I really shine. So it's really unfortunate. All right. Now back to the episode. Right. So um, on the order, Philip accused the Templars of heresy and immorality, specific charges, which I already talked about, idol worship, um, and all the things I talked about at initiation. (laughs) Um, And basic... (laughs) Okay. All right. Um, The charges now recognized to be without foundation. So these charges, this is where it gets interesting too. So, of course, they were charged, and, and the... The Templars weren't just in France, right? So they were spread out. So uh, it was calculated, right, that, that they weren't; these were unbiased claims here and that it wasn't right. Um, but contemporary fears of her- heretics, witches, and demons were similar to allegations Philip had used against Pope Boniface um, VII, I think. Um, and the reason why Philip sought to destroy the Templars, like I said, was generally feared that he, they were becoming powerful, motivated by his own piety to destroy a heretical group, or may have seen an opportunity to seize the immense wealth, him being in debt and not have a lot of money. Um, although Pope Clement V himself, Frenchman, ordered the arrest, he was a Frenchman, coincidency, um, he ordered himself uh, the arrest of all the Templars in November 1307, 
a church council in 1311 voted overwhelmingly against suppression, um, and the Templars in countries other than France were found innocent of the charges. Clement, however, under strong pressure from Philip, suppressed the order on March 22, 1312, and the Templars' property throughout Europe was still transferred to the Hospitallers, which I mentioned uh, earlier, uh, or in the monastery or to the monasteries. Uh, but those who failed to failed to confess or who relapsed were put on trial, and among those judged guilty by Philip was the order's last Grand Master, Jacques de de Malave, um, brought before a commission established by the Pope. Uh, de Malay and other leaders were judged, relapsed, heretics, and sen- sentenced to life in prison. The master protested in uh, his confession, and he was burned at the stake. The, the, he was the last victim, essentially, of a highly unjust and opportunistic persecution. Right. Many knights and kings and nobles who had been supporting the knights up until this time uh, financially, financially acquiesced and dissolved the orders and their feasts in accordance with the, the command of the pope. Mm-hmm. Um, most were not as brutal as the French, though. Um, in England, many knights were arrested and tried, but not found guilty. Much of the Templar property outside of France was transferred to the Pope, uh, transferred by the Pope to the knights, like I mentioned, Hospitaller, and many surviving Templars were also accepted into the, uh, the other group. Okay. Um, in the Iberian Peninsula, this is just kind of an interesting thing here, where the King Aragon, uh, Aragon <laughs> was against giving the heritage of the Templars to the other group, um, as commanded by Clement V. Um, the order continued to exist in Portugal, simply changing its name um, to the Order of the Christ. So they adapt, some f- some groups adapted. Right, but you see what I mean as, uh, I think I mentioned this before the break. Because they were everywhere in the world, it was hard to prosecute them uh, as a whole. So you can't destroy the whole thing. They were, they were held up as heroes, too. For this 200 years, they were kind of viewed as like this sacred uh, order. So they adapted, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And some, again, uh, groups switched names. Um, some kind of got off, got free. Some didn't. All the people in France, basically. Yeah. Um, and so, for example, Prince Henry the Navigator led the Portuguese order for 20 years until the time of his death. Um, in Scotland, after Templars played a significant role in the Scottish victory at Bannockburn on June 24, 1314, Robert the Bruce joined the Templars and the Hospitallers into a new order of the Temple and of St. John. Um, even with the absorption of Templars into other orders, there are still questions as to what became of all the tens of thousands of Templars across Europe. There had been 15,000 Templar houses and entire fleets of ships, which I mentioned. Even in France, where hundreds of Templars had been rounded up and arrested, this is only a small percentage of the estimated 3,000 Templars in the entire country of France. Right. So also the extensive archive of the Templars with detailed records of all their business holdings, financial transactions were never found. It was said to have been transferred to the Hospitallers, possibly uh, by the Pope, whose library was destroyed in the 16th century by Turkish invaders. You know, we've talked about this in the last episode, how much stuff gets destroyed over history. It makes me angry. Um, some scholars believe the number of Templars fled into the Swiss Alps. So here's an interesting thing here. We're, well, I think we're kind of near the end of this. Okay. Uh, like, there's so much information here. Yeah, yeah. I, there's so much we could get into, and I think I want to save for a part two or just a reprise of some of these stories. But I kind of want to go into... 
what, like we said, there's, there's mystery even on the where they end up, right? They kind of give you a general sense of the beginning rise and kind of how they end, kind of the order ended. It kind of lasted about 200 years, but they did split up. Um, and so there are records of Swiss villagers. This is a really interesting thing here for me. Okay. So some scholars believe that a number, number of Templars fled into the Swiss Alps. Okay. There are records of Swiss villagers around that time suddenly becoming very skilled military tacticians. Um, an attack was led by the Pole of Austria, who was attempting to k- take control of St. Gotthard Pass with a force of 5,000 knights. Okay? His force was ambushed and destroyed by a group of 1,500 Swiss peasants. Up until that point, the Swiss really had no military experience, but after that battle, the Swiss became renowned as seasoned fighters, and some folk tales from that period described how there were armed white knights who came to help them in their battles. This may have been where the underground Templar Brotherhood ended up, um, in the Canton provinces of Switzerland. It would, it would explain why. Did you, have you ever looked at the Swiss flag, Jake? I'm, we're going to post that with everything. No. Have you ever looked at the Swiss flag? Oh, yeah. It looks similar to the colors, is what I'm trying to say. Take a look at this. Uh, I mean, what if you opposite if you oppose those colors and made the cross yeah. red and the background white? What does that look like to you? That's the, the Templar, Templar cross. cross. Yeah, yeah. So there you go, boys. <laughs> we got them. That's the only. <laughs> we got them. Fuck them. It would explain though the why the Templar symbol was on a red background and it would explain why the Swiss suddenly took over the Templars where the Templars had left as bankers of Europe. You know what I mean? Think about that. Yeah. Think about that. They were such good they were really good at that and uh they just transferred okay yeah we're, we're Swiss. Yeah we're Swiss now. <laughs> Templar influence seems to be reflected in the coats of arms used by Swiss uh, cantons and even in the naming um, of some Swiss locations like town of Sion. So, uh, yeah, that was kind of the the end of my little journey. Of course, at the time of its destruction, the order was an important institution in both Europe and the Holy Land, and already ob- an object of myth and legend, even during their time of of when they were there. So, I mean, we're still talking about it. There's still so much I could get into and want to get into yes. about the actual Holy Grail story and other things like that. But this, I felt like, gave a good basis to go off of. Definitely. But I hope this was enjoyable. I hope this was understandable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, that's uh, The Knights Templar uh, by Casual History. Thank you, Jacob. Um, we will have Casual History, I mean, five-minute history uh, this coming Wednesday or Thursday. And we're back on our schedule of Sundays. Um, we had a timing issue. But we're, we're all on track. Um, follow us on uh, socials if you want to. This is the normal plug, Casual X History. Yeah. Um, we do post interesting photos sometimes. Um, kind of gives you updates of, hey, if we can't make an episode or if it's earlier or later than expected, um, just if you care to kind of uh, have a note. Our, uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, everyone. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time.